Without a doubt, we are making our way through an abnormal time in history. You may find yourself turning away from all the news reports thinking, what's next? Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. None of us are alone in trying to process all the news. Do you find yourself leaning harder on Jesus Christ and digging deeper into the gospel for comfort, assurance, and discernment? The gospel has a miraculous way of bringing stability to a constantly changing world around us. Let's start a new series today called Models of Good Citizenship. Here's John with part one. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Titus chapter three. We're going to spend a couple of weeks here. So I think this is very applicable to the uh, culture in which we find ourselves currently. In Titus chapter 3, let's just read together verses 1 through 8. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, remind them. Okay, so he is, he is telling Titus uh, to remind the believers, the Christians in Crete, all right? So remind the Christians in Crete of certain things. And so listen to what uh, we are to be reminded of. He, he says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities. Now, I'm going to have a lot to say about that in the weeks ahead, but I just want you to listen to that. The fifth commandment is front and center in our culture today. And we have a sheriff's deputy in our church who's here with us this morning, and he knows better than any of us what it's like for a culture to rebel against the fifth commandment. So I'm going to have a tremendous amount to say about that. But I just want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, remind the Christians. He's not talking to the general culture. He's talking specifically to the church. And he says, remind the church, remind believers to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Just listen, to be ready for every good deed. And then he says, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Why should we be like this? And we're going to look at this today. He says, because or for we also, the Apostle Paul and all the believers he's writing to, he says, because we also were once foolish. He says, we were foolish ourselves, disobedient, breakers of the fifth commandment, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful. He says, and hating one another. But, look at that contrast, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this is the purpose, so that being justified by his grace, look at this, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this, verses four through seven, Paul says, is a trust this, this is a trustworthy statement. And he says, and concerning these things, 
He says, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God, Christians, will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. All of us for the past three months have been in this unprecedented lockdown. And for all of us, it has been on varying levels and degrees, very stressful, uh, very discouraging, very depressing. Uh, We have felt displaced, lonely, separated, because we have been. and it's, it's, it's hard, tensions are high, emotions are high. It's easy to fall prey to the flesh. As I said, the first month, I was like, man, I'm doing pretty good. Second month, it's like, uh-oh. Third month, wow, I'm really bad. <laughs> and then on top of all of that, then of course we all know about the riots and the looting and the protests, the unjust uh, murder of an innocent man in the streets. The responses of our society uh, has been, you know, to take over portions of cities and declare themselves a sovereign country, tear down statues, burn up buildings, destroy people's entire livelihoods of work for their whole life, uh, riot, loot, people marching in the streets. Some of it should be marching and protesting. The rioting, looting should never happen, things like this. And we've been watching our culture just literally blow up. People are afraid. Cops are quitting. It's a very difficult time in our culture. And so that's the elephant in the room. And we shouldn't pretend like the elephant isn't here because it's, it's sitting right here with all of us. <laughs> right? And it, it is a very difficult time in our culture. And so uh, the responses of our culture, we have all seen it on the news. And so as Christians, we have to take a step back and, and we have to ask ourselves, how would God have us respond? And how as citizens who are also Christians should we be living in this culture? And here's the amazing thing about the wisdom of God. He gives us the clear answers right in his word. And that's what he gives to Titus right here in Crete. Crete was a lawless society. It was filled with people who were in active rebellion against the government and authorities. It was filled with false teachers in the church that was destroying the church from inside and the culture from outside was having tremendous influence on the culture of the church on the inside. And so when the Apostle Paul planted these churches in Crete, it was literally the wild, wild west. And he sends Titus to this island to a very difficult mission. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Titus, I want you to put in order what remains. Now, if you receive that apostolic commission back then I can only imagine Titus going, oh, my word. (laughs) This is so difficult. I'm sure he felt totally overwhelmed. And the whole book of Titus is about bringing churches that are living in a culture of total disorder to bringing those churches into order in the midst of disorder. 
And so in chapter 1, Paul focuses on the behavior and character of leaders in the church. He wants Titus to bring into order godly leadership and appoint elders in every church, presbyters that would oversee the church and and lead the church properly. In chapter 2, he talks about uh, the behavior and character of church members and how church members are to conduct themselves in the church of Christ so that their lives are brought into order, so that there's godliness. Because Paul is concerned in this little letter, chapter 1, verse 1, about the gospel which accords or produces godliness. And godliness is is illustrated in each chapter. Chapter 1, godliness in the character of church leaders. Chapter 2, godliness in the character of church members. But then we come to chapter 3, And and he talks about how the gospel motivates and creates the actions of Christians in society. He's talking about citizenship, how Christians bring civilization to an uncivilized society, because the island of Crete was, was exceedingly uncivil. And so the gospel Paul is teaching, it has profound implications in all areas of the Christian's life, including his or her vocation as a Christian citizen. I will have more to talk about the the doctrine of vocation in the weeks ahead, but just just to get this in your thinking, Paul is teaching us that in chapter 3, the gospel has implications for Christian leaders in the church. Chapter 1, it has implications for church members in the church, chapter 2. And and in chapter 3, it has implications for how Christians live as citizens in society. Okay, so the the gospel, look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Literally, what Paul says here is that the gospel, listen carefully, civilizes the church. It brings civilization. It civilizes the church in an uncivil society. He says in chapter 2, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. This this phrase, all men, refers back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where he talks about all the different categories or groups of men, people, literally people in the church. He's talking about uh, uh, men and women, older men and women, younger men and women. He's talking about employers and employees, church members in the church, all these different groups. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all these different types of groups of people. And he says, look, the the grace of God, the gospel, is constantly instructing, teaching us to deny ungodliness. And look at this, worldly desires. and, And how does the gospel teach us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age? looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every, look, lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so the gospel, Paul says, brings this civilizing effect upon the church in an uncivil world. And so it's important to remember this, is that Christians are pilgrims. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and then Paul says in chapter Titus chapter 2, verse 12 here, that we are pilgrims that are journeying through this present age 
to the age to come, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the consummation of the gospel, chapter 2, verse 13. And because of this fact that we're like this, we as Christians are simultaneously citizens of two kingdoms. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom, but we're also citizens of the, the kingdom of the United States of America. We're American citizens. And so what Paul is teaching here is that as the, the, the heavenly uh, citizenship that we have in Christ's kingdom is to influence our earthly citizenship and how we live in this world. So Christians are dual citizens. And, and, it, and this heavenly citizenship, chapter 3, we read it, verses 4 through 7, is the source of what creates a very different type of United States of American citizen. All right? And so what I want you to see as we look at this series from Titus chapter 3 is that good citizenship must always remain self-consciously gospel-centered to display godliness in the public life, the public square, for this purpose, chapter 3, verse 8, to bring benefits to unbelievers, to benefit your city. Look what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8. He said, this is a trustworthy statement. That refers back to chapter uh, 3, verses 4 through 7, the gospel that he just gives this Trinitarian creed of the first century. He said, that's a trustworthy statement. And then he says, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. And he says, these good deeds are good and profitable for men. It benefits your city. The gospel creates citizens who benefit their, their city, who bring civilization to their society in which they live. And so this chapter begins by discussing the importance of understanding that Paul's uh, concern moves beyond civic righteousness. Civic righteousness is external conformity to the laws of the state, which is civic righteousness is lacking in a lot of places right now. But if, if a stop sign says stop, you stop. And if you don't stop, and Brendan's sitting there, you're going to get stopped. <laughs> and you're going to get a ticket. And it doesn't matter if you're a member of Paramount Church. Because <laughs> you broke the law. So stop. Because if you don't stop at a stop sign, it becomes a moral issue at that point. Because you could kill somebody. Right? But Paul's concern is that Christian citizenship goes beyond that which is defined by the state as consisting in good public civility. For example, the creed and believers back then and the creed and unbelievers both that were paying taxes to the Roman government. That's external conformity to the laws of the state. Pay up, right? But Paul's concern is that God's people in the church exhibit good works for the sake of those who are lost so that those who are lost can observe our behavior that is born from the gospel, chapter 2, verse 5, so that the gospel is not, first of all, reviled, right? He says, but chapter 2, verse 10, so that the gospel is adorned. We make it look attractive, so Christians don't destroy personal property. 
they rightly protest injustice and fight for justice, but they don't destroy personal property. Right? There's a big difference. Christians respond differently. We are different. We heard that this morning in our gospel reading. We are going to be looked at as very different and oftentimes hated for that. But the Apostle Paul says the gospel teaches us to live in such a way that the gospel is not reviled but adorned so that no charges can be justifiably brought against the message of the gospel, chapter 2, verse 8. See, Paul is concerned about the witness of the gospel so that the unbelievers who are destroying personal property can be saved and not do that anymore, and then you benefit your city, you see. And so Paul is concerned about order in the widest possible sense in this letter, precisely because the church is God's household. It is his chosen instrument for proclaiming the gospel to its lost neighbors. That's the whole context of what's happening here in Titus chapter 3. And so what I want you to see today is this, is um, where does the source of good citizenship come from? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, all right, he describes two different kinds of people. First, he describes the people who are under the tyranny of sin. Second, he describes those whom God in Christ has delivered from sin's hold. So he's describing believers and unbelievers. And so to understand the source of good citizenship, you have to recognize the differences that result from God's deliverance. So he employs this conversion formula. He says, you were formerly this, but now you're this, right? He says, without Christ, this is how you used to be. He says, but now that you have received Christ and been converted, he says, your lives move along very different paths than your neighbors in Crete. And so what is the source of good citizenship? Here's the first point. How do we live as good citizens? Where does it come from? First of all, chapter 3, verse 3, here's the first point. Paul says, Titus, I want you to remind believers of their pre-conversion state of bondage. Remind believers of what they were like prior to being converted by this gospel. So look at Titus chapter 3, verse 3 with me. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says he was like, the Cretan believers were like, and he says, and this is what all of us were like prior to our conversion. He says, for we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved in various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And so Paul says, look, Titus, I want you to remind believers of their dreadful condition prior to their conversion so that believers are filled with humility. The Apostle Paul understood that it was very difficult for Christians to not always be gentle and show courtesy toward people who are envious and hateful and full of malice, right? We all know that when somebody does not treat us nice, what is our first instinct? Oh, I'm going to be gentle. <laughs> um, I'm going to show courtesy. I'm going to be patient and loving. And, and uh, no, I mean, we just like, mm. <laughs> it's just, it's just difficult to live with unconverted people. 
it's difficult to live with converted people. <laughs> if you've been married, you will know. <laughs> um, and Paul says, Titus, just, just remind them of what all of those Cretans who are now in the church were like as Cretans. Because when you go back in chapter 1, where Paul talks about the Cretans' reputation, he says in chapter 1, verse 12, one of themselves, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, these were bad people. This was a lawless culture that Paul went to. And Paul says, don't ever forget that was you. Humility is a social grace that adorns the gospel before outsiders. And this sweeping statement on human depravity, we ourselves, Paul says, I'm including myself in that. The point is, he says, all people stand in need of salvation. And apart, chapter 3, verse 4, from the goodness and loving kindness of the triune God, he says, you and I both, Cretans, would still be in bondage like our pagan neighbors. And so it's healthy to be reminded of our pre-conversion manner of life to keep us from becoming overly impressed by a sense of our own progress and how sanctified we think we are, Right? I was thinking over this uh, course of quarantine as it went on and as it went on and on and on and on. Just daily, I could just feel the tension in me just getting to a point where I was about to literally explode, and I finally did. And I'm like, golly, just you are really, you know, don't ever forget where you've come from. We have nothing to boast about in comparison to our pagan neighbors who burned down businesses. We don't agree with it. It is wrong that we should not be burning down businesses, right? Committing crime, destroying people's livelihoods. But we still have nothing to boast about in comparison to the way our pagan neighbors live because Paul says we too once lived in this slavery ourselves. So in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, he, he, we're going to come back to these civic duties. Paul gives seven civic duties on how Christians are to conduct themselves in society, which is born from the gospel. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. But in verse 3, I want to quickly walk through with you these seven civic vices that the apostle Paul lists for us in a pre-conversion state where you're in bondage to your sin. Because all of these vices characterize the anti-civic behavior of those who are under bondage. Reminding believers of their own former state of bondage before the triune God, verses 4 through 7, delivered them, saved them. Let's look at each of these vices. Here's the first one, foolish. So Paul says to help believers live as models of good citizens in an uncivil society... Just remember that you were once very foolish. Foolish speaks of the intellectual and spiritual condition of people before becoming Christians. Apart from the saving work of the Holy Spirit, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, that we'll look at, Paul says that 
all men are without spiritual understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, it is impossible, what, for the, uh, for the uh, unspiritual man to perceive the things of God. It is impossible. Second, look what he says, uh, you were once disobedient. You were once violating the fifth commandment constantly. And as I said, I'm going to come back to this because this is very pertinent to our society. But Paul addresses the problem of disobedience to God and to human authority uh, in the Cretan churches. Listen to how many times he does it in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 15. And chapter 3, verse 1. He is repeatedly addressing a lack of submission to authority. So this problem of insubordination is due in part, chapter 1, verse 16, to destructive influences of false teachers who had come into the church. And so Paul thinks it is necessary to call on the Cretan believers to submit to and obey all rulers who are in authority over them. So we're going to come back to that, but this is very important to our day and age. Thanks, John. The message you just received is called Models of Good Citizenship, Part 1. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 